Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Definition of faith. The reason I think it's important that we understand what faith is, is because scriptures mention faith a lot. That's one of the things that is mentioned throughout the Bible is faith. Specifically in Hebrews 11. And we did go through, by faith, Adam and Abel and Abraham and all these people did these things. We looked at what that meant, why it meant. But what we didn't look at was what faith is as a substance, an evidence of things that are hoped for. And if we're going to understand the scripture... And if we're going to understand our salvation, and if we're going to understand our Christian life, and if we're ever going to have solid assurance, we need to understand what faith is. It's going to be impossible for us to ever have assurance, much less understand the working of God in our life if we don't understand what faith is. So Romans chapter number 3, Paul writes about faith. In my Bible, and it may be different in y'all's, but in the Bible, the Bible that I have, it's got a heading right above chapter number 20 or verse number 21 that says God's righteousness by faith. That Paul is explaining how we gain, how we have Christ's righteousness applied to us. Verse number 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh, there shall no flesh be justified. In his sight. So by the deeds of the law, by the things we do, right or wrong, by the things that we do, nobody can be justified. Nobody can be seen right in God's sight. That's what Paul says here in verse 20. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do we know what we do is wrong? How do we know that we, if we're speeding, how do we know that we're speeding? There's a law that says the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. So we only know that we're speeding because of the law. How do we know that we sin? It's because of the law. God tells us that we have the law written on our heart. We've been given a conscience that tells us moral right and wrong. We know that it's wrong to kill people because we've been given that moral conscience. Now, there are cultures throughout the world that have pushed down that morality so far that they don't see the sin in killing. It's the reason they'll kill you and eat you if you come there. But we've also done that in our own culture. We have pushed down humanity in the image of God so far that we don't see a problem with murdering an unborn child. We do these same things, but inherently we have been given the knowledge of sin through the law. We know that harming someone is sin. So Paul is making the case that the knowledge of the law shows us our sin. The sin was there. The law puts a spotlight on it. So we have the law that says what is right and wrong. Paul says 
Nobody can be justified. Nobody can be right in God's sight by the law. So if you lived an absolute perfect life, never sinning, you cannot be made justified in God's sight. And we'll get into why. Verse number 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So by catching what Paul is saying here, he says, you cannot be justified, seen right before God, doing the law. But the righteousness of God, justification, is found, it is manifest, it is shown, it happened without the law. And it was witnessed to by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets were there when this event happened. The law and the prophets tell us about this person who is the righteousness of God. Is everybody following what Paul is laying down here? Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. What's the next word? Of. Jesus Christ. Where does faith come from? We were talking about this this morning. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It is the faith and it belongs to a person. Which is righteousness. So we are made justified in God's sight. By faith of Jesus. Unto. So how do we get this faith? Who is outside of this faith? Who's outside of being able to get this faith? What does it say? Unto whom? All. All. And upon all. What's the condition? Them that believe. There's a colon there in your Bible. For there is no difference. Paul is saying it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what nationality you are, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you knew the law, whether you didn't know the law, there is no difference. And he summarizes that in verse 23, which is a well-known verse. Slightly out of context, but it's a well-known verse. Why is there no difference? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God that Paul uses here is talking about Eden. When he came in the cool of the evening, he was bringing his glory with him. The only other place that we see this really exemplified in a way that we can kind of grab hold of is in Isaiah, where he said that he saw God and his glory filled the temple. So we see this this status that God has, who God is, the righteousness of God, if you will, we all come short of. Even if we keep the law 100%, we come short of that. There's a reason, and that's because Adam 
pushed us out of being able to have it. The two things that we would need in order to be seen righteous before God was, number one, a payment for Adam's sin, and number two, a completely righteous life. If you're here this evening, you know who did both of those things. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. So we have this event that happens in history. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ for the payment of sin and the life of Christ keeping all of the law for our righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he not only sees a sin debt that was paid to bring us back to ground level, but he also sees Christ's righteousness placed upon us. And we all need it because all of us have sinned. Paul says you can't keep the law. Even if you did keep the law, you can't be justified because there's no payment for sin. But just in case you didn't know, you've all sinned. Verse number 24. Being justified... What's the word? Freely. How? By his grace. How again? Through the redemption. Where is it? That is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God. So who did it? God. Hath set forth. Why? To be a propitiation. How? Through faith. In his blood. Why? To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Paul summarizes these statements to declare, I say, at this time. His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? Where are we going to boast? Where is it? Where is it on us? It is excluded. It's not there. By what? So it's excluded. It's not there. So where is the boasting? Is it in the law? Is it of works? What do we do? Do we keep the law? Do we work? Nay. No. By, but, by, the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified. How? By faith without the deeds of the law. And we'll stop our reading there. So Paul, and we went through that really slowly, but I wanted to emphasize the way that Paul is writing these things. Basically, I want to emphasize something that we should know. If we are believers, we ought to know that it's not our righteousness. It's not our law keeping that puts us in a right standing before God. 
It is Christ's righteousness. It is Christ's law-keeping. To go a little bit farther, if it's Christ's law-keeping that puts us in a right standing before God, can somebody please tell me how we get out of that right standing before God? We don't. Unless Christ gets out of right standing before God. And that's not possible because Christ is God. So we have this event that Paul has explained to us in a lot of detail. And now we're going to get over to where Miss D stole where I was headed. What happened? What, what is it that happened? What is, it's called, the theologians, they, they've called it the great exchange. What was taken away from us? Our sin? What was given to us? Christ's righteousness. That happened around 33 AD outside of Jerusalem. That is when Jesus said, it is finished. Is everybody following where I'm going with this? Okay, so we have this event that is finished, correct? So what did we not see happen now? Were, were any of us there when this happened? I've, I've said before, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention it. When people ask me when I was saved, I tell them about 33 AD outside of Jerusalem because that's when it happened. That's when the transaction happened. But I need evidence of that, right? What is faith? Faith is the evidence of something that we did not see. Even if you would have been there physically, you would not have seen what happened spiritually at that event. You would have seen darkness. You would have seen earthquakes. You would have seen a lot of things happen physically, but you would not have seen what was going on spiritually. So even if you were there, you still need evidence of things that you have not seen. I'm going to read a couple of confessions. We have the Belgic Confession, the Westminster Confession, and the 1689 Confession. And I'm going to read to you the way historically before us, we're going to bring about a thousand years to Bible study with us tonight. We're going to bring all these people before us. We're going to bring them to this study and we're going to see what they said about it. The Belgian Confession, Article 22, reads this. To speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us. For it is only an instrument with which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. Jesus Christ, imputing to us all of his merits... And so many holy works which he has done for us and in our stead, this is his righteousness. And faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him and all of his benefits, which when become ours are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. So the Belgic Confession states that faith, to be clear, is not what justifies us. We are not saved because of our faith. 
we're saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is where we'll get tripped up a lot of times, even even me personally. Any time that I have ever had any doubtings of whether or not I was saved, I was looking at my faith. As a matter of fact, and this is neither here nor there, but it's stupid. I understand that. But a couple years ago, I got the flu really bad. I had seizures. I had to be taken to the emergency room. I had never encountered anything like that in my life. I've always been relatively healthy. And it was no big deal. I know that now, but you weren't in my mind when I was laying in a hospital bed in the emergency room with IVs hooked to my arm. This was all new for me. What went through my mind as I was laying there was I am going to die. I was convinced that I was this was it. I was stressing over not having enough life insurance. I was going through all these things in my mind. But I had a pit that came up in my stomach and a panic that came over myself because I realized my faith is not enough. I looked back over the last 20 some odd years of my life at that point, And I realized at that point, if I were to stand before God right now, my faith is not enough to do anything. My faith is weak. It's frail. It's not good. It's poor. It's very, very bad faith. And that caused, again, a panic in me. Because I was looking at my faith, not the object of my faith. We're going to get into a little bit more what that means as we continue on. But that's what we do. When we have issues internally with our own salvation, and we have issues even with other people that we're dealing with, a lot of times it's because we are focusing on faith as the justifying work. But it's because of what we've been told. We've not read Scripture slowly enough to realize that faith connects us to Christ rather than is what gets us Christ. We look at our faith and say, well, did I believe enough? Did I pray the right thing? Did I repent enough? Did I do all of these things? And those are the objects of our faith. And when we look at our poor faith, it reflects our poor Prayers, our poor repentance, our poor living, it reflects everything on us that is poor. The Westminster Confession reads this way, Faith thus is receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness alone as the instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified but is ever accompanied with other saving graces. It is no dead faith, but it is a faith that works love. By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word, for the authority of God himself speaks therein and acteth directly upon that which each passage therefore containeth, yielding obedience to the commands and trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for our justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And then in our own confession, the first paragraph of what was read this morning 
chapter 14 and verse number one, it says, The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. An ordinarily wrought ministry of the word by which also and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and other means are appointed by God to increase and strengthen. Now that we've put all that there, I want to go back and look at these verses in the book of Romans and then kind of wrap everything up so we can hopefully understand what faith is. As we look into Romans, we see the ground of our acceptance. It's not our faith. It's grounded somewhere else. If you want to write these down, that's your business. But there's six points that we see in verse 20 through verse 26 that show us where the ground of our assurance, where the ground of our salvation, how we are saved, why are we saved, Verse 26, Paul does this first. He emphasizes that it is God himself who justifies. If you don't believe me, verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be, did he say that we might be? That he might be the just, we knew that about God, right? Who else is he, though? And the justifier of him which believes. So, who did the justifying? It's him. God justified you. You did not justify yourself. Paul says that he might be the justifier. Nobody else did it. You didn't do it. Your mother, your father, your brothers, your friends, the pastor who was preaching when you first heard the gospel, none of them justified you. God said he was the just and the justifier. It's not something you did. It's something that he did. That's where it came from. Number two, we don't only see that God himself justifies but we see God emphasizes that justification is a gift given. You didn't do it, and you didn't were the one who manipulated its happening. It was a gift. Verse 24, what does it say? Being justified, how? Freely. 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 That means you weren't connected to it happening. You did not manipulate this justification. Freely, it was a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at the words that Paul says here. Look at these words. We are justified freely by his grace. So not only is justification not something that we earned, that we started, it does not require anything from us. Don't miss what I just said. Justification does not require anything from you. I know everybody's minds, if you're like me and you're 
mind works like mine does. You say, well, what about belief? We're going to get to that. But God does not require anything from you. It's a gift of his grace. Thirdly, so we saw that it's God who is the one who does the justifying. Secondly, we saw that it's a gift of grace. So justification, our salvation is a gift of grace. Thirdly, verse number 24, being justified freely by his grace, how? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we not only have Paul emphasizing that it's God who does the work, he emphasizes that it is a gift freely given from God. Now he emphasizes that justification itself, our salvation itself, our standing before God itself is grounded not in something that you did. It's grounded completely in the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's, is that not what the Word of God says? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we have God doing the work. He's the just and the justifier. God freely giving the gift of grace. God pointing out that it is Christ who has done the work, not us. Fourthly, verse number 24 again, not only do we see that it is Christ who has done the work, that's the ground of our justification. The foundation, the very bottom of our justification is that Christ has done the work. What's the basis? Verse 24 says, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the ground is redemption. The foundation is redemption. Why are we saved? Redemption. What Christ did, the act that he did, living a perfect life, dying a death, being raised again, that work that Christ did is the ground. That's why. What's the basis? Last three words of verse 24. In Christ Jesus. The basis is that you are declared righteous not from something that is in you. Who's it in? It's in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about the propitiation that happened. Look with me, if you will, in the scriptures, again, what does it say in verse number 25? Whom God set forth, he displayed publicly to be propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Do you notice what Paul is saying? Christ declares you righteous. It is in him, not in you. And we know this because Scripture says that God displays 
this transaction publicly by the righteousness of Christ? How do we know that the basis of our justification is Jesus? Because we have an account in the Gospels that tell us of the perfect life of Christ and the perfect death and resurrection of Christ. It's public. It's not hidden. It's public. Fifthly, let's go back to verse number 20, and we're going to see how all this is done. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh, no, but there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we have an emphasis here that even if we did obey, we can't be justified. What does it say? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You cannot do enough. Your faith cannot be good enough. Your works cannot be genuine enough. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It can't be done. And finally, number six, verse 22, he makes it clear that our justification is something that is received by a specific instrument. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that word. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus, unto all and upon all that believe. There is no difference. If you want to summarize all of this, I'm going to give you four causes from this section of Scripture, and I'm going to hopefully wrap up what the point of faith is. In our salvation, there is an effective cause. How, does, how did it happen? What was the effect? What, what was the movement in our salvation? Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. How did we get salvation? Who started it? God. How does he give it to us? By his grace, freely. The effective cause, what put into motion our salvation was God and his grace. Number two. There's what's called the material cause. Verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we have the effective cause. How we got it is God and his grace, right? Why do we have it? The material cause is Christ's righteousness. So we are given what? We're given the righteousness of Christ through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is where I want to get to and finish out the last few minutes. Verse 25 is what has been termed the instrumental cause. Verse 25 says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation how? 
there's a word, through faith. If you want to add this to the rest of, to make this four points, the final cause is God's own glory. Verse number 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believed in Jesus. So God did all this because that's what he said he was going to do. So, what is faith? When we get into understanding what faith is, the way that we can understand it is, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said it was like a pipeline, a a conduit. Faith is the way that the redemption of God gets to you. Did, and you can raise your hand if you want. Did anybody here eat lunch today? Okay, I'm going to assume everybody did. If you didn't, you've eaten at some point in your life. <laughs> this is going to sound stupid. How, how did that food get into your stomach to nourish you? It came through your mouth. Unless something is medically wrong with you, you had food enter your mouth. Does your mouth keep you alive? Is it the ability of your mouth that makes sure that you are able to eat? And let me phrase that in a way like this. I have, I have bad teeth. If you know me, you know this. I still eat. It is not the fact that my teeth are not perfect that makes me nourished. You may not be able to chew as hard as some people. You may not be able to open your mouth as wide as some people. Where there's all these things, I'm trying to, to, to give us an analogy. It's not the good working of our mouth that gives us the nutrition, right? right. What is it? It's the food. Yeah. Is everybody following what I'm, what I'm getting at? Faith is not what saves you. It is the way it gets to you. That's the reason that they would use the term the instrument. John Owen said it this way. He said, the righteousness wherewith we are justified is a gift of God. So the righteousness by which we're justified is a gift from God, which is tendered unto us in the promise of the gospel. So where do we hear about it? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing hearing by the word of God. What are we hearing? We're hearing the gospel. So we're given the promise of the gospel. That is how we're getting it to us. And faith, the office, the job of faith is to receive, apprehend, lay hold of, or appropriate this righteousness. So the way that John Owen is explaining what faith is here, he says the righteousness is what we are given. To go back to our analogy, the righteousness is the food. Am I following? Righteousness is food. It gets to us by the gospel. And we receive it by faith. 
if righteousness is food, the hand that gets us to our mouth is the gospel. Mm -hmm. And where we receive it is faith. It is appropriating, laying hold of, apprehending, receiving. That is what faith means. If I were to try to force feed you, I'm not going to, but if I were to try and force feed you, if you have ever been around a baby that is being fed, somebody else is doing the feeding, right? How does that child receive that food? It's being given, right? Mm -hmm. Freely. Mm -hmm. What do they have to do to it? They have to take it, apprehend it, grab hold of it, realize that this food is for them, not for somebody else. That's where this whole idea, we, we, we hear these phrases, and honestly, I sometimes I think they're more harmful than they are helpful. But have you ever heard anybody say, you need to receive Christ as your personal Savior? Or just trust God. But what in the world does that mean? That's Every time that I heard that, even growing up, I was like, what are you talking about? Receive as your personal Savior. It made no sense to me. Because I was given an idea that faith was something that I was doing. It was all a matter of my faith. What the scriptures lay out for us is an understanding that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, right? He did this event. He's the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, right? Right. Okay. We're all in agreement that Christ died for the sins of the world. So this event happens. What is the gospel? When we hear the gospel, what are we being told? We're being told Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. And he was resurrected as a validation of his sacrifice and his life. That's the gospel, right? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That is the good news, that something else was done for the sins of the world that you could not do. What are you called to do? All throughout this text, we say the word belief and the word faith, right? Is it your faith, is it your belief that is mustering up something so that God applies that to you? I'm going to go real quickly over to Romans chapter number 10. We know this verse. It says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul, this isn't an evangelical text. This isn't a text telling us how we should evangelize is the text where Paul is explaining to Jewish people how all these Gentiles are saying that Jesus is their Messiah. Because yeah. you had these Jews that were like, look, guys, you don't know anything about a Messiah. You're outside of the household of God. He is our Messiah, not your Messiah. So we have all these people that are hearing this good news that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And they're saying, hey, we're going to take that for us. He's our Messiah. 
these Jews in chapter number 10 are like, Paul, this is wrong. How did this happen? And Paul just explains. He reverse engineers. He said, they heard because somebody was sent. And that's how it happened. Somebody told them about the good news. Paul says, clearing up any confusion, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Paul is doing here, he is directly quoting Joel chapter number two. Joel says there will come a day when anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I think it's this misunderstanding of what it means to call upon the name of the Lord that has given us some confusion about what faith is. The wording that is used there for call, it means to apprehend, to grab hold of for yourself, to have something placed on you. John, book of John, Jesus says to Peter, your name is not Cephas, it's Peter now. Because on this rock, I will build my church. You'll be called Peter. Peter was given a name. When Jesus said, you will be called Peter, that's the word that Paul uses here. These Jews are saying, how are these people Christians? How are these people believers? How are these people saying that this is their Messiah? Paul explains to the Jewish people in Romans chapter number 10, they said that he was theirs. It's that simple. These Gentile people said, hey, that's our Messiah. Hey, he died for our sins. This is ours. To the Jewish people, that made no sense. Like, no, he's not there. He's not yours. He's ours. But Paul explains that Jesus became their righteousness. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Jesus is their righteousness for one reason. Because they said he was. They grabbed hold of Christ's righteousness for themselves. That's what faith is. Faith is an apprehending, a lay, laying hold of, a receiving, a appropriation of Christ's work for you. When the gospel is given and a hearer sits there and says, I don't need this. I don't, I don't need Christ's righteousness. I got it. Christ's righteousness is being given to you saying, here, Christ did this for you. And a hearer says, I'm good. I'm good. I, I got this. I don't really know if I believe all of what you're saying. I'm good. That's unbelief. That's not faith. But whenever you hear Christ died for your sins and you say, yes, he did. That's mine. I, that, he died for me. That is faith. Faith comes by hearing. This is the work of salvation. You hear the good news of the gospel. You're like, yes, that was for me. In the book of Corinthians, Paul says, he makes a call to the Corinthian church. He says, Be he said, God has reconciled everything to himself. He's done all of the work 
be reconciled. This is for you. See that it's for you. If you want to know whether or not you're saved, if you want to know whether or not you have faith, did what Jesus do, is that for you? If your answer is yes, congratulations. You have been given faith from the word of God for you. That is how we can have assurance. Because when we look at the gospel, we see it done for us. And that is what grace brings us. All throughout the scriptures, when when we hear terms like stir up the faith, stir up that faith, let that faith be stirred up, increase in faith. What we're doing is we're hearing the gospel, we're seeing the gospel, we're experiencing the gospel, and we're grabbing hold of it again. The way you stir up faith is the gospel. The way you increase in faith, increase in the gospel. There is a reason, no doubt, that some of those that are here tonight sat in here this morning and were excited about what they heard. Because they heard the gospel. And the faith inside of them was stirred up. That's what faith is. Where we miss it, where we miss everything, and I'm done. When we don't understand faith, when we lay in a hospital bed and say, my faith is worthless, we're looking in the wrong place. Throughout scriptures, in the book of James, it talks about a dead faith, right? Dead faith is what? Faith without works works is dead, okay? James wasn't telling them you are lost, you are unsaved. He said your faith is in a coma. Mm -hmm. It's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. It's not of any use to anybody. What does faith do? If faith without works is dead, what does faith do? It works, right? Faith shows love. The works that we're seeing in all the scripture is love. Faith displays the love of God. It pours out the love of God. It shows the love of God. It sanctifies us. It changes us into Christ's image. That is the work of faith. If faith has saved you, faith is sanctifying you. Faith will bring you all the way home. What do we see from Scripture? Whose faith, whose faith is it that started all of this? It was Jesus' faith. If your faith is dead, it's not working, then it needs to be stirred up because it's there. Because it wasn't yours. It was given to you. You believed it. You said it's mine. You have this faith stirred up in you that is not working. How is faith stirred up? You hear the gospel. There is a reason that you can look back through your life. And I'll say this about Charles and about Ricky because they've said this to me. And I can say this about myself. Over the past four years, you've noticed things in your life, right? You've noticed changes of mindset. You've noticed peace and joy and love that you didn't have there before. You know why? Because you have come together and you have heard 
Jesus for you. Over and over and over and over and over. You've had your faith stirred up. The reason that there is some anemic Christians isn't because they're not doing enough. is isn't because they're not striving hard enough. It isn't because they've not been whipped into shape. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they're complacent. It's because somebody has not stirred up their faith. And faith is only stirred up in one way. Christ for you. If it's his faith, who else is going to stir it up? Tying this all into the Sunday mornings, the reason that they called these things the means of grace, the reason that in every confession you see speaking of faith being stirred up, being renewed, being built up, is because that's how we become Christian. That's how we display Christianity. That's how we display Christ, is by the faith in us. And the faith isn't stirred up by me telling you you're not doing a good enough job. The faith is stirred up by me telling you Christ did the work for you. That is the reason we're going to be going through what stirs up our faith. It's important to know what stirs up our faith. Because if our faith isn't stirred up, we're not going to be effective Christians. What does the Bible say stirs up our faith? We're going to find out. But it's all tied back to the gospel. If you feel like you are failing in your Christian life, stir up your faith. So understanding what faith is is important. Because understanding what faith is is the only way that we can be effective. It's not by anything in us that makes us effective to God's plan in the world. It's by the faith that is stirred up in us. By the preaching of the gospel. And that is why, even, even, in, even in the things that we do on Sunday morning, the reason we don't just get up and talk about the gospel first thing because we need to fill up time. No. We don't just read Psalms about the coming of Christ because we need to fill up time. We don't sing specific songs about the work of Christ because we need time to fill we don't say, you're a sinner and you've screwed up this week. And then confess that to God because we need time to feel. Everything that we do, everything that we will ever do as a church of God is to stir up faith. That's our only job. Increase in the faith and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully, as you come to scriptures and you see this working of faith, things will hopefully, if they didn't already make sense, they'll hopefully start to make sense. The reason that this church is called Gospel Way, because there is no other way. It's the only thing that brings faith to us. The reason that that's emphasized here is because that's the only thing that stirs up faith. Because the faith was never yours to begin with. It was given to you. And that is why God is doing the work. You're his workmanship, right? And this stuff is done by you increasing in faith, and your faith is increased by you hearing the gospel. Let's pray.